here we are at the first podcast of Live in the Hive. We got our special guest, Mr. O.C. Nelson. Now it's, what, 12 years ago? Um, so we brought him in to discuss his current venture, which is uh, development on a large EPC space. And uh, he's with Light Edison. So, O.C., can you give us just a little bit of uh, history, background of how you know, you got to where you're at here today? Yeah, thanks, Wyatt. It's awesome to be here. I just got to take a minute to say congrats to you and the whole team here for what you're doing. This is uh, pretty incredible. I was, uh, I've got a, a, one of my new team members is a 22-year-old uh, fresh out of school, and I was laughing with him telling him about this. And I think there's just so many things, so many ways you can quickly get disconnected. I'm turning 43 this summer. And when I think about this sort of stuff and what you're working on here with the hive, um, it's easy to say like, why do we need to be in a virtual space? Why do we need, you know, there's a lot of questions. And then my 22 year old team member was, was saying, that's what, that's what an old fart would say. So um, (laughs) I just, I just tip my hat to you guys. I think the, the engagement that we need in the industry, which we'll get to, I'm sure as the conversation flows here that, uh, Engaging the next generation of talent in this industry is so critical. And I think it's things like this where, you know, I'm not sitting at my desk at 43 thinking about how to engage uh, new team members through a virtual space. And this is just really cool. So huge shout out to you guys. And I'm honored to be uh, be the inaugural guest. So, yeah, uh, Light Edison, uh, we are just had our eighth birthday, which is pretty shocking. Um, you know, we are a... a renewable energy platform to try to enable dramatic impacts. Um, we were formed eight years ago by a group of solar and wind dorks, uh, just like yourself and myself. And, and we set out to, you know, reimagine working in the renewable energy space. Commercial LED lighting. And um, it was kind of that, you know, old saying, reduce before you produce, right? We had these clients that wanted to jump right into these multi-million dollar solar systems, but they hadn't spent, you know, $200,000 retrofitting their facility to cut their energy use by, you know, 40 or 50 or 60%. And so we, we started down this path of kind of challenging our clients to walk the walk and make some of those easier low-hanging fruit choices in the energy journey uh, before jumping right to the, you know, more, sometimes more fun um, things like solar. And so that's really catalyzed the beginning of the company. We ended up looking and feeling a lot like a, a commercial LED lighting company. And, and we still do a lot of that work today. We do municipal street lighting conversions, large campuses and municipalities will go in and convert all their buildings. Um, and so that's been a really unexpected and fun part of our original history. But our intent was always to get back into solar, which is where we came from when Back you and I met, and um, and so we started making that transition back um, about four years ago into the solar space, and then we were able to just combine those savings technologies like lighting and other efficiency technologies as we um, got back into the solar space. So it's been a fun ride. Um, you know, we focus primarily on large rooftop uh, and carport structures, kind of in the you know 500 kilowatt to two meg range. Um, and then we've started to have a lot of opportunities in these community solar systems that are popping up everywhere, especially on the East Coast. Um, you know, I've just, you know, just discussed at length kind of that 
two to three on the small side, all the way up to seven, eight megawatts uh, in that community space where they're, you know, allowing people that maybe can't put it on their house to come and purchase into these larger systems. So it's been a heck of a ride. And, uh, you know, in so many ways, we're just, all of us here, really, we're just getting warmed up for what we think the next, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 years are going to hold. So it's a brief, brief intro to, to us. And uh, again, just really excited to be here. Yeah, and I remember when you, uh, you know, kind of exited the solar coaster, so to speak. Um, we've had some tough times. <laughs> uh, I think everybody has. But then you got into lighting, and it was, like, super competitive. Um, and, I mean, it, that's I just remember you saying that, um, and you always did want to get back in the solar space. And, I mean, back in the day, you know, I started an energy. goal right you got to reduce before you um you know put the solar on spend the money for the solar because you can actually lower the cost of the system so yeah you guys are doing it right um yeah and congrats on the you know massive projects that you put in in the past year um so that a very exciting story um but all, all that comes with of course headaches and they gotta dodge and bob and weave on this solar coaster we call it um, you know, what are some of the things that you've experienced, uh, you know, in the, I guess, not far past, but, you know, in the past year to two years of your, um, you know, immersion into this EPC world? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, right? I mean, I think you, you kind of led into it with, with, you know, when you were saying lighting's competitive. I mean, I, I'd agree. I think the word I always use is commoditized, you know, and, and, it's the the challenge there is is just as real in solar, which is the the sort of world at large is sort of saying something like uh, we're in exciting times and we're in the midst of an energy transition. We've sort of done energy a certain way for a hundred plus years, and we're kind of exploring new ways to do to you know to to create, transmit, store energy, and it's a really exciting time, and so it creates this really weird dichotomy where you know, economies, um, you know, dips into politics, all matter of different aspects of life says, hey, company ABC, we really need you to do this thing. We need you to provide an energy efficiency solution. We need you to, uh, to be this solar company. And yet it is commoditized. And, and as much as anyone might tell you, you know, we, we don't always pick the lowest cost provider. That is the sales pitch. Of course they do. Right. And that's because they've got their own economics and their own hurdle rates. And that's the, you know, their, their fiduciary responsibility on their side, but it creates this conflict because we're being told this is a better way to produce energy. This is a better way to do things. And yet, you know, so many companies are struggling at, you know, single digit margins or whatever their own constraints are. And you go, you know, I was thinking, I was talking to a buddy um, a year or two ago, and he produces, their company produces a, a widget that goes in a, a beer tap, right? It's some sort of, a, of a, an air valve that's ubiquitous in all beer taps. You know, who knew? And basically, brass tacks, he said, ah, it's been a pretty tough year. I said, what was your margin this year? He said, 78%, right? Hmm. And so it's like, okay, the, the beer industry has said, you provide a very valuable service to produce this air thing that I need. And we're willing to buy it and gladly pay you a, a, a rate that'll you know net out a 78% margin. And I can I can promise you, you know, 
nobody in the solar industry is making 78%. And so I think yeah. the, the, the challenge is how do you rectify this, this seemingly insatiable need for renewable technologies, for energy efficiency technologies, and, and the struggle that is very real for myself and everyone else, which is how do you um, show that value so that you do not become commoditized uh, where it just becomes that race to the bottom. And I think that really encapsulates so much of the challenge in the industry right now is, is that shouldn't, that, that inherently that challenge shouldn't be, shouldn't exist <laughs> because um, okay. everyone's saying this is a better way to do things. So I think at the highest level, that's really the challenge is to, to decommoditize what we're doing and what our, what our you know, competitors, friendly competitors are doing out there. So. Yeah. And I mean, to me, um, I never thought of myself as a salesman. I was a solution provider. Um, and I, you know, more books I read, that is the way to do it. I mean, you can't just, if you're just selling a product, um, that's all you are is selling a product. So I know back in our early years, you know, that's how we got the customers and retain the customers. Cause I mean, distribution's about the toughest market as you can be in. Um, and then to just listen to their needs and, you know, help them grow as a company. And I think that you've brought that to Light Edison along with your partners um, have that same mindset. Um, it, but you are dealing with, you know, oh, let's see, you know, the financing, the, um, oh, some of the product, the tariffs, the, you know, it's like there's always something. And we, I want to say joke about it, but it's not really a joke when you're uh, losing hundreds of thousand dollars a month. So can you give a couple examples of, you know, the stuff you've seen uh, with Light Edison, how you've maybe, oh, you know, solved those problems. Maybe they're not solved, uh, but you learned your lesson and now you're, uh, you know, moving on to bigger and better things. And hopefully you don't have to jump those hurdles anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think to, to you know, just really put a finer point on the, on you said on the conversation about the not, not becoming a commodity and, and offering that value. I, I really hope we do do that. We sure think we do, you know, uh, to me, the proof in the pudding that we are doing that is some of these relationships we have in the industry, which we just cherish. I mean, you know, with yourself and your, your, your companies included, and that is a differentiator. It is people, it's not inherent in how people do business to form transparent long-term relationships. It's easy to say that, but the action steps to do that actually take a ton of sustained effort. And, you know, I always say it's really easy to be buddy, buddy when you're when, during good times, but when it gets hard, you know, you see people's true colors. And so I think you're right. It's focusing on that value you're adding, being more than a salesperson. The interesting thing is we've gone into larger and larger projects to your point, the numbers get big really fast. So you may have a client that says, Osi, I value everything you're saying. I, I value everything that you're doing, and I and they, they agree with everything I'm saying. But some, you know, almost insignificant, you know, fractions of a cent add up to really big dollars really quickly. And so it is a balancing act of saying they do value that, but but their ability to show you that by writing a larger check is really hard because those numbers get really big really quick. But you know, on other things, I mean, you, you're right. We do joke about it. I mean. The solar industry in general, efficiency less so, but uh, solar specifically, we just can't ever seem to quite get that sustained, you know, tailwind or whatever you want to call it, right? And and everybody that's been on the solar coaster since, you know, I mean, I, I like to think of all of us here as some kind of 
veteran 2.0, right? We kind of got into the biz in the late thousands, you know, 07, 08, et cetera. And, um, but then I talked to these guys and, you know, you got, you know, more of these guys than I do, you know, the true veterans, you know, the guys doing it back in the eighties, seventies, eighties, nineties, some of the thermal systems. And, you know, it's, there's just like, these three years were great. And then this thing happened. And then we had two great years and then this new policy came out and then this happened. Right. And I think in, in some ways that's just business. You're always dealing with external factors, but if we use the most recent example, you know, the IRA in so many ways was, was, was what we were looking for. It was that 10 year runway to, to not have to guess about the, you know, the ITC and, and some of those tenants. But then when you really start getting into it, there is complications, right? There's the, the, Devil's always in the details. And so you start looking at some of the requirements, very well-intentioned, to be clear, and, and a lot of them, you know, undefined still now. And yet all what they do is add cost, complexity, uncertainty. And so it, it, you, you're, you, you nailed it. I mean, I think the solar industry in general, one of their biggest problems is they, they just can't seem to find a steady state where it's like investors and everybody can say, okay, we know what the landscape looks like. We know what the environment looks like. And, you know, even with political winds changing or whatever, we think we've got, you know, what make up a number, two years, three years, six years, gosh forbid, 10 years of kind of runway where instead of trying to all the maneuvering we have to do around those sort of things, we can just do our jobs. <laughs> we can optimize things like, you know, soft costs and labor and, and procurement. And we can really optimize on those things because I can at least speak for my organization the amount of time we spend trying to negotiate that never-ending sort of sea change is is a massive amount of time, which just translates to dollars. So I think that that's the you know the new reality we're facing. But you hit you hit some others. We we faced the tariff issue last year. Um, that you know was was in some ways resolved, but you know as well as I do that's probably a temporary resolution, and um, that caused a ton of uncertainty and and caused a bunch of issue last year. So I think. That really is it to me um, is just what do we have to do as an industry, as a country, as a planet to say this is a technology that must succeed and what tenants, uh, you know, whether that's policy or otherwise, need to be put in place to truly maybe can you imagine someday where we, we, we quit calling it the solar coaster, <laughs> right? But I don't, I, don't, I don't know exactly what gets us there, so. Yeah, no, um, all good, all good um, answers there. Uh, so, you know, and it's, I hate how it's become political a little bit. Uh, not going to get in, into politics here, but um, just, I mean, manufacturing, right, with the tariffs, and they're trying to, I mean, really, it squashes it when it's made in the U.S., but then we won't even get into that. Uh, you know, there's all these new manufacturers, you know, I'm hearing of, you know, Universal Solar, they're going to be making modules out of Panama. And, you know, I'm just going to use them as a reference where a lot of your projects, you know, they, they require tier one components. Well, there's a lot of I's to be dotted and T's to be crossed when you're, um, you know, coming into the market. Now, I'm not saying it's not possible, but you can't just pivot on a dime. Um, and so, we have to continue to, unfortunately, buy from Asia because there are some folks coming to the U.S. and all that to, uh, you know, bring manufacturing here. But it goes even deeper than that because now you got, I mean, I don't know if you've experienced it. I think you have. Uh, I have multiple, you know, clients that 
whether it's a lead that's too short, right? Um, I think it was actually, um, uh, you know, something you've dealt with recently where a project was a rooftop and needed to be in landscape and the manufacturer uh, just made them short enough so you had to put leads on all these things. And so now you're adding points of failure and it's just like those little things just add up to so much money and not even just money, like people's time, our time, your time. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, how have you dealt with that? Are you, you know, I know we have um, come up with some solutions as far as just let's not let this happen. Let's put these, you know, implement these rules really. Um, so it's just, we don't deal with them uh, down the road. So because there's the whole Stobley thing and, the, you know, the solar edge, we went through that with you guys uh, as universal with the, um, you know, solar edge needed Stobley and then we had to do the whips. And, and I guess, what are your thoughts on that as far as, do you think that's, I do, and I'll just say it, I think it's, they're kind of forming a monopoly, uh, if you ask me. Um, I know people aren't going to like that, but I've, I just feel like a lot of people are the big powerhouses and sometimes hold hands and, tries to become you know squash all the little guys the up-and-comers so wanted to get your feedback on that yeah i mean you hit a lot of great points there i sort of kind of talk about them a little bit in order and i think it'll probably get to a broader discussion before we end but i think you know to your point on the the new entrance and tier one and all that sort of stuff i think um it's a broader question of what the market expects from us as the companies that need to be able to provide these services. The, the sort of back to what I was talking about, the well-intentioned policy, if, if you, know, you take 10 companies sort of ubiquitously, you know, myself and nine friendly competitors, and all 10 of us are saying you have put up market barriers, technological barriers, specification issues, requirements like a tier one or something, if 10 out of 10 of us say, that makes it harder to do what I need to do in an efficient and cost-effective way. Well, that's a barrier in the market. You know, maybe seven out of 10 say it because three of the others are geniuses and they've cracked it or whatever. But I mean, your point, the, the thing I want to get that I might get to later is a lot of times the market right now is asking things of us that are not possible. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing for us more frustrating than the blood, sweat and tears, myself and my partners and all of our incredible team members have put in over the last eight years, and it's not something you're doing. It's some external next hurdle that gets in the way. I mean, that is just so frustrating. You know, all of us wake up super passionate to advance this industry, and it's something, like you said, a mismatch connector or a lead length or something that ends up, you know, being this huge issue. And so, you know, I don't know. I don't have some brilliant answer today. You know, some international consortium. I mean, I think about the EV market. I, you know, I don't know that market too well, but I know they've, they've had a challenge with, you know, which, which plug is going to be the plug, you know, is Betamax going to win or is VHS to date myself. But I, I think there's, we're certainly grappling with those issues. Right. But I think, you know, one thing that's been awesome about the solar hive is we've been able to lean in to a network, you know, a, a rapidly growing network of passionate professionals where there's sort of this no BS zone, you know, there's no, there's no posturing, there's no agenda. It's genuinely what I always say, which is, I don't believe there's a single company in competition with another company in this industry. As much as we've all grown, it's still a small industry. And I, I will gladly help a comp air quotes competitor 
if I think it advances things. And that's really, I know you and I have always talked about that. It's not, you know, it's that business karma, not worrying about exactly what's in it for you. Do that other company is solid and it'll come back around to you. And I think we've, we've always been, you and I have benefited from that. And so I think that, you know, how do we collectively say these are the challenges that we're facing on things like that and, and, and get past them because it is, it's like, it's so crazy that those are some of the things, you know, you and I went down that, that fight on the late lead length and said, gosh, it's the devil in the detail. We checked 99 boxes to make sure this project went super smooth. And at the end of the day, I think, what did we come up like four inches short total, you know, and, and you're just going like, geez, Louise, you know? So I think you're, I think you're right. I think there's, there's some of those things. I mean, another great example, right. Of, of what the hive, did as far as connecting that for us was that uh, was the UL 3741 stuff, right? Um, you know, we have, um, we're still digesting the kind of the education that you, you brought us and the, the, the access to the hive brought us, which was, Hey, there is another way to handle those rapid shutdown requirements. You know, for a long time, there's really only been one methodology to, to tackle that. And, you know, you, brought us in, you introduced us to some of the Hive members, we had a spirited conversation about it, and we came away with some uh, solutions that we're actually literally implementing now on three different projects um, that resulted in some very meaningful cost savings. So I think that's what's so exciting to me about what you guys are doing, is like this industry is too tight on margin, it is too complex in things like regulation and otherwise. So if we have a forum like this, where people are genuinely showing up saying, I'm not here to hold back information to trick you, win a job, or to outmaneuver you. I'm literally here to advance the industry for, for the bet, common good. That's really powerful. That's not something that, that exists out there. And so examples specifically in thinking about kind of how we, how we address that, the rapid shutdown issue, some of the Stobley connector issues, and, and other things that you, you hit the nail on the head. On the one hand, there's super annoying uh, minutiae that really matter, and, and yet just a couple ways that really, you know, brought us in closer with you guys. So it's been fun. Yeah, for sure. No, I appreciate uh, all the nice words there. Um, and really, I mean, we're not going to take credit, right? Because you, you hit the nail on the head where the forum, you know, I have to give a shout out to the guys at DWS, you know, down in Texas that how many times I can you say the, hit the nail I don't on call the head, loophole, but the solution, right. For the whole rapid shutdown. And, you know, it's, these things, I'm not saying they're secrets, but they should be, there should be an open forum where people can, you know, they're coming to, you know, they have a pro, they're facing a problem. Um, and there's people out there that have already faced it, came up with a solution, but yet there's just, there's nowhere that people can share their solutions, ideas, better ways to do business. And really that's, and again, I've always said that I wasn't the one, you know, to create the solar hive. Everyone is. I mean, we're going to, you know, Jim here, we, we haven't had him talk yet, but he's he's been an integral part um, of, you know, since 2017. Um, he's always been passionate about the hive. And I mean, really, some people just say meh, but the ones who get it, get it. And I, we really appreciate that you get it. Um and yeah, it's just, we need to work together to solve these issues and just do business better, really. Um, and that's just the, you know, that's the mission, really, uh, in a nutshell. So um, <clears throat> now, recently, you know, the interest rates and all this, uh, you know, 
that have come about in the past, oh, what, three months now? You know, I know that you bid projects, what, like years out um, in some cases. And so how does that, I mean, how are you handling that? I mean, are you handling it or are you, because I mean, if you're locked into a contract, interest rates go up and it just doesn't pencil anymore. And now you got, you know, added costs, whether that's shipping, like, you know, a year or two ago, what shipping quadrupled where it went from four or five grand a container to get here. And now it was 26. And I think we went through that too. So it's like, how, I mean, you, you want to get these projects, but yet you, it's almost scary. Like, God, should we take this? The margin's pretty thin. And what if this happens? What if that happens? I mean, it's, it's just a guessing game. It's like playing, you know, gambling in Vegas. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess mainly the finance thing, what are your views on that? Um, you know, as, as that stands today. Oh boy. I mean, that's a, yeah, that's a, it's, it is really one of the, one of the fundamental questions in, in this, you know, it's, I, I love it. You know, you, you spoke about the shipping issues. I mean, let's, let's just all acknowledge collectively that we have been through, you know, there's a bunch of different words to describe it. Black Swan events, you know, once in a generation kind of events, you know, really a lot of this all started with COVID. Right. And then it was, it was basically the, the world global you know, supply issues that came of that. And so we just have to acknowledge it's been a crazy couple of years to be, you know, a human being on this planet. And so I think acknowledging that hopefully that was a, a definitely outsized event that really has been going on for two or three years now that, you know, when you talk about things going from 4,000, 26,000, like I, you know, I don't care how smart you are. It's really hard to plan around that, <laughs> you know, yeah. but, but I do think that in general, um, the way you do that is through kind of what we already, where we started here was open and honest and transparent relationships. And, you know, one of the, one of the blessings that we have now that I, that is, I, you know, like some smaller and, and companies that we work really closely with that are growing themselves. And I, I always try to say, I never give advice. I just talk about my experience and it's either useful for someone or it's not. Um, but you know, when you have to take a project that makes it really hard, you're growing and you need that next biggest project or that next client. When you're in that position of like, you know, truly I have to have this project, then that's what you get in a moment of what you just said. Hey, hold your price for six months, eight months till we get this closed. I mean, there's been a period, it's still kind of happening. It's easing a little bit. You know, my vendors would send a quote and it would say good for seven days. Right. I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you plan around that? So I think that, that when you're in that position of how we really need this work, we're willing to take a shot at a lower, a lower margin or whatever. And then you have the extreme dynamicism of the last couple of years. There is no answer. You know, that's really, really tough. And, and it's, it's been painful for everybody. There's no doubt about it, but if we, if we assume a little bit more normal times, and it does seem like knock on wood, a lot of things are quote unquote stabilizing in some ways, although stabilizing at you no know, higher cost. <laughs> but um, the answer is transparency, right? I mean, we when we go in with new partners, we come pretty aggressive. And what we say is we have nothing to hide. We'll go full transparency, full open book with you. And, you know, we'll even do you one better. And we'll talk about make up some things, cost plus, kind of pricing or some maximum guaranteed pricing. We'll try to really show walk the walk in saying something like the, the, my, my, you know, whether it's a development partner or a, or a fund group or someone, they have to make money. 
I want them to make money. The ultimate person selling the project needs to make money. And then the person, you know, building, constructing the project needs to make money as well as all the vendors and downstream. That win, win, win has to be there. So if you go into this very transparent kind of environment and say, we have nothing to hide. Here's what this used to cost. Here's what this costs now. Should we try something else? Should we do an alternate vendor? What creative solutions can we do? And then at the end of the day, everyone's happy. It doesn't feel like they're wondering if I'm hiding margin somewhere. I'm not, you know, presuming what they're making and being bitter about it. So you just, you just got to get over that and get into this much more transparent way of doing business. Now, as I would like to think that's common sense, but I can tell you that most people look at me like I'm crazy. And they just go, oh, see, that's not how business is done. And no, we're not comfortable with that sort of transparency. And what we've started to see is that that's just a, a filter for us in what we call, are we a fit? And some companies are a fit and some are not. And that's totally okay. It's not for me to tell someone else how to run their business. But if when the companies that have said, hey, OC, that makes a ton of sense, I think we can really make that work and maybe get rid of some of the brain damage here and how we do these deals. It's, it's going so much smoother and it just shows me that it's a workable solution. And for the ones that are still fighting out the battle, everybody, you know, race to the bottom, everybody chewing each other's, you know, ankles off trying to get that last thousandth of a penny that doesn't seem to be working as well. I know that's still sort of quote unquote how it's done. Um, so, you know, long way to say, I think how we battle interest rates and rising costs and all this stuff is just with having the right kind of trustworthy partners where transparency kind of rules the day and a true win-win means that everybody wins when a project's built. Not that you like out negotiated somebody in the boardroom and got them to accept a low price that, you know, is ultimately going to backfire or something. So. Yeah, no, well said. I'll never forget, you know, back in distribution because you're, you're right. It's like fighting over quarter pennies, half pennies. When I got in the industry, I didn't know I was like pennies. Like, what are you talking about? Right. So once I got my head wrapped around that, I mean, I was in a big meeting trying to close a pretty large customer and they told me this guy was a penny cheaper, right? And I was so sick of it. I just said, I'm not worth a penny to you. Then I don't want your <laughs> business. And guess what? They, they ended up buying from me because I mean, that, the jaws dropped on the floor, but I mean, that's, you know, providing a solution if that's not worth more than a penny. Cause I mean, over the years we've saved people a lot of pennies, right? So, um, and that should, there should be a lot said about that. Um, when we're not looking just to make the money, we're looking, Hey, this guy needs help. Their company struggling. Let's help them grow. Let's, you know, they can help with this job. And, you know, that, that brings me to the next kind of, I guess, topic we wanted to discuss. Cause you know, back, Oh, it's not even a year ago. You're like, Hey man, let me know if, you know, you need some, you know, master electricians in this area, or if you have labor here, and so there's a lot of, um, you know, needs where some people get busy, some people are slower, and there should be that, you know, I'm going to pause right here because my phone's ringing. And Jim, you're going to talk next. Um, <laughs> That's good stuff there. Look at that. I'm going to give Jim a hug. Oh. There we go. No, it's good so far, by the way. Um <laughs> Go fuck yourself, man. We'll chop that out. Uh, And I silenced my phone. So um, I'm sitting, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So the whole workforce, um, you know, it has been an issue where, um, you know, where we can 
people can trade. I don't want to say trade, but think of it as recruiting for subcons because a lot of people, you can't run a business in certain really areas of the country. In the north, it gets too cold. So maybe they want to, you know, come south where you have a job in Texas during the winter. Um, so there's that, you know, I know there's people doing it, but I don't think there's a good place where people are vetted. You know what you're getting. You, uh, um, And what we're looking at and we've discussed, and I'm going to let Jim over here, uh, you know, touch on because he's been, you know, the lead on the whole workforce development. Um, you know, I, I, I just have to point out that when he first brought this whole metaverse, you know, virtual world to the table, I'm like, no. <laughs> um, because, I mean, my opinion is we live in a beautiful world. You know, why live in a fake one? But, you know, he kept hounding and hounding. And, you know, finally I'm like, all right, I'll listen. And I'm glad I did because he has been seen a lot. I mean, not just seen, there's people coming into our world. that's not even complete yet. It's a, it's a work in progress, but they're excited. Everybody that comes in, Oh, this is awesome. You know, I want to learn solar and they're in Africa. They're in, you know, China, they're all over the world. And we can now educate and train virtually 24 seven, you know, globally, but I'm going to, hand it over to Jim here because he, you know, has been working on it. He can tell a couple of things about the programs, the people from pretty large programs he's met um, and how we can help you. We've already discussed some, but I want to see how we can work together to solve this upcoming problem with the labor shortage. So take it away, Jim. Yeah. Thank you guys. And uh, great job. Great conversation. I've been just hanging out and and uh, absorbing and uh, I'd like to start off by just saying you know a little rebuttal to the conversation and yes it's 2023 uh, COVID definitely uh, forced us uh, the solar hive to look at the 5 10 20 year roadmap for this industry because we're passionate about it now post COVID or I'm sorry pre COVID business as usual to kind of go into the uh, commoditization of solar and the Wall Street banks and and kind of creating the industry that we've seen uh, envelop over the last 15 years where there is a lot of greed and a lot of companies going after just the money rather than the healthy growth of the industry. So uh, the reason I bring that up uh, is one, because I agree fully, and that's one of the main reasons what allowed the solar hive to pivot and create a virtual space where we can engage with individuals locally or across the globe and over the last 12 months we've realized the need for you know the extended reality the virtual reality training not only in a headset but giving folks the ability to access it on a cell phone a laptop a tablet or in a VR headset if if they had one available which provides a much more immersive and engaging experience so um, we plan on on really focusing on the workforce development and getting individuals not just on the installation side but 
how to properly consult and and maybe sell solar with you know an ethical uh, pulse on how you do that and how you go about selling solar for you know residential or commercial but also creating you know a potential O&M fleet of technicians that can address a lot of the O&M issues and service service call issues or abandoned systems from a lot of the big companies that have have failed and gone out of business so therefore in lieu of creating a, a happy experience for homeowners someone's got to prevent this mess from from getting worse and and get involved in cleaning up the mess that's already out there so we feel that this platform is going to give us the access to anybody and everyone out there that wants to start a new career in solar or wants to expand their career in, in, a, in a new engaging way right on so yeah. yeah that's and did you want to touch on some of the you know folks that you have been speaking with i mean nothing signed yet but i mean you've mentioned a couple large names um as far as you know they're already doing education but they want to bring the solar hive in to possibly uh, help with yeah the there are education. there are several stem groups across the u.s that have programs where you know overnight we we have now access to thousands of students taking stem coursework and the solar hive curriculum and virtual space is going to be part of that curriculum through stem city chicago um, and across other stem programs across the u.s but even overseas um, you know we've had training coursework with fathers and their sons in russia and fathers and their sons in ukraine they have internet access they're in vr and they come to our space to learn about solar energy and opportunities um, that interest them you know energy there's a lot going on over yeah. there you know, mostly caused by energy and on a, on a global scale but we have uh, thousands of students throughout africa that are in the process of signing up for our coursework we actually just got the message out to several new contacts there and uh, pretty much every continent across the globe we have uh, sh we have definitely seen a lot of interest in our products and and services here in the virtual space so it's an exciting time nice. and you know one way to kind of hedge against inflation and is to diversify uh, we're passionate about the industry uh, we've all you know sweat up on the roof and installed and and worked in the warehouse and and done every you know every uh every gig out there within the industry so this is kind of the new new opportunity for us to utilize the technology and again create the awareness campaign of you know we can be much more broad with our efforts by utilizing virtual technology we're not we're not wasting time starting vehicles flying around the country uh, we can do it here 24 7 and uh, we invite you y'all to come check it out yeah no i appreciate that uh yeah summary of that um i did want to add i mean because i know that everything you mentioned amazing uh but it is a big task so 
you know, we have been talking to folks, um, you know, around the, the industry in the U.S., but we're actively looking for people that, you know, like OC, um, who's going to, you know, add his two cents here shortly, um, that we need help to get this off the ground, right? I mean, um, I know we, the, the program has applied for some accelerator programs to help with funding. Um, we're not sitting there asking for money, but, you know, we call it kind of the hive hustle. Everybody's got maybe five to ten extra hours a week. Um, and they're good at something. Uh, so we, we're developing a place where, you know, it, people can come in and they can donate their time, their, you know, parts of their network. Um, and in lieu of that, we would promote, you know, the Solar Hive will promote their company. Um, you know, we are working on getting it to be you know, partner owned. So everybody would have a stake, how much sweat equity, how much you know, if you do have money, yeah, we need money to get this stuff off the ground. But uh, yeah, I just kind of wanted to point that out. And then, you know, back to OC, um, we had talked about, oh, some things you're doing as far as, because we got to look forward, right, uh, as much as we can. And everybody's talking about this labor shortage. I know you've talked to some massive developers in the States that it's a big concern because like next year, they have deals, they have contracts signed, and they're like, I don't know how we're going to get this stuff installed because there's not enough help. So um, I guess what are you doing, you know, to maybe help solve that, and how can we help you, um, you know, in that venture? Yeah, it's uh, great comments, Jim. And I do think, I, I think it's sort of like running a business in general. You know, you you pick a, pick a number of challenges you have in a day, week, month, quarter, or whatever. Maybe there's... 10 priorities, maybe there's 20, maybe there's 100, but ultimately you've got to pick one or two. We always say like two maximum, but really one in a given quarter or something that we really need to tackle to keep moving things forward. I think if you ask anybody that's in the EPC space and ask them what their number one challenge in the next year to two years to five years that they are worried about, I would be shocked if a very high percentage of those people didn't say labor. Um, You know, the... I think that's the single issue. You know, I've given you an anecdote that an engineer friend of mine had said that, you know, she had said something like, I think the labor shortage mismatch between what, again, what the industry, the market is asking the, the, the us's to do and the labor to physically do that work is like a mismatch in the order of when they tried to build the highway system. And so I think it is the challenge. Like we're either going to figure out a new way to engage, recruit, train, and, and support the workforce, especially in the trades, but across the entire renewable energy industry, we, we won't make it, I mean, as an industry, right? I mean, to your point, I have more and more development partners, fund partners coming and saying, Ozzy, I have these 18 projects ready to go. They're ready. And I've got someone that's got capacity to take three of them or six or whatever, but the number is not 18. You know, and so I think you're going to see this backlog forming more and more and more where um, that really is the challenge. And I think that's what's one thing that's got me so excited about what y'all are doing is to Jim's point, you know, it's hard enough to get, uh, you know, a young person engaged, quote unquote, off their screens or whatever we're worried about, you know, back to sounding like an old person. But the reality is if we think we're going to somehow just round up, you know, 1,000, 50,000, 200,000 workers 
and get them to be able to fly places and have the, I mean, that's going to be part of it, to be clear. You know, there's going to be brick and mortar training and stuff, of course, that's still part of all this. But even if it's just the screening of getting 100,000 applicants down to 10,000 really qualified people that a company would want to invest time and training and more, more in-depth training, you don't want to have to fly those people around the country. You can't. You know, they may be somewhere where that's not even real for them. And so I think what, what you guys are doing is saying, we've got to do this a different way. The way, you know, that, that those, those people have been found and, and trained and cultivated and finding the right fit in a job, it's not working anymore. And I'll give you, I'll give you another example. You know, we have found just some incredible uh, team members of ours coming from all different walks of life, some of them with some really challenging backgrounds. And so you, you say to yourself, you know, oh, well, what we need to teach them to do is to build a solar rack or to, to start, you know, being an electrician. Yes, there's no doubt about that, that that's part of, of what they need training on. But you know what else they need training on? How to cook, how to pay bills, how to be financially responsible, maybe how to get set up with their first credit card. Uh, maybe, you know, some, they've always wanted to get a driver's license or just name a bunch of things that in so many ways a lot of times we forget that not everybody's had all the same opportunities that maybe we've had. And so we've become extremely passionate about trying to find a way that it's not only about recruiting the, the tradespeople or whatever that we need in the company, but it's also being somewhere that someone can come and, and potentially find a safe place from a less than ideal environment where they can find that career path. They can start getting some financial security and they can learn some of those life skills. You know, our, our, our crews, we kind of have this kind of hub mentality where we do, you know, Airbnbs and stuff instead of um, hotels. So you end up in an actual kind of home environment where you can have a real kitchen. You're going to be living with three or four or five guys and you can kind of create that little mini family that a lot of times people don't have. And so, you know, again, to, you know me, the long-winded way to answer the question to say, I think that cracking this labor and training shortage challenge is, is the singular issue that we have to face together in the next few years. Um, and there are cool programs. There's some really cool stuff you you guys are looking at. We're looking at, you know, other, again, ways, like you said, find alternate funding sources for some of that training. We're even looking at some ideas for us. Like, do we need to have a, a training center? You and I have talked about that. Maybe the Maybe our training center is powered by the hive. Maybe it's part of how you guys help us recruit. So on the one hand, it's almost a kind of an insurmountable challenge in how big the gap is in, in the labor needs right now. And yet it's super exciting to imagine that, that things like the hive can be a part of that solution. And, you know, we are talking to manufacturers, whether that's racking, inverters, um, batteries uh, that are becoming, you know, more prevalent in the industry. And Jim said it best, you know, we built it. We, we have the space. Um, yes, is, is it done? No, it's not done yet. But we've, we've come really far in the past year. Um, but now we need folks that are out there that have the training that needs done, that are, may already have the videos that are doing it right now, can bring it into our space. Then we can, you know, multiply their outreach by thousands, really. Um, so, and I know Jim used to be a road warrior um, installer, staying up and out of hotels. So I like your comment about, you know, getting them. You know, now Airbnb, I don't even know if Airbnbs 
existed back then. But um, yeah, I, I, there's more road warriors than ever. Uh, I feel like because there has to be because there's not enough not enough help. So um, all good points. Did you want to add anything to that, Jim? Well, yeah. As far as um, you know, life skills training. Uh, something over over the COVID years, Wyatt and I and and the rest of the team um, realized that it wasn't just solar we were passionate about. Solar's a big part, you know, of our our everyday working life and career. But the life skills, you know, creating awareness again in, in this 2023 mindset as people are kind of waking up from from years of, if not decades, of fogginess and just you know, not really being involved in, in their awareness campaign and how they live their lives uh, personally and in business. So uh, life skills training, financial literacy is very important these days. There's a lot of people struggling. And I think, again, with with the educational conduit that we've created, anything can be taught here. We plan, you know, aside from energy, food is very important. I know all of us at this table and a lot of our colleagues and close friends are passionate about, you know, homesteading or prepping and just being responsible for our sovereignty and and our security and, and, and providing for ourselves. And I think there's a lot, there's a lot of people out there that have that passion as well. They just don't know how to realize it maybe based on limiting beliefs or their geographic location. But there's a lot of information that can be shared uh, with the masses. Uh, again, solar being one of them, but you know, again, we're open to this evolving into something much greater than just solar energy, of course, so. Yeah, yeah, well said. Well, I cannot believe that uh, the time's already up. It's been It's been a great conversation, I mean, really, to summarize, I mean, the, the key points that I can go back to is, you know, let's band together, work together, let's let's develop, you know, we're calling it the tribe, the hive tribe, um, and it's really individuals like OC, myself, um, there's numerous others, of course, Jim, um, and we're just looking for more hive mind-like individuals um, and or companies to, you know, help join the movement help us disrupt, uh, you know, some of the unfortunate, I guess, you know, curves along the way in the solar industry and, you know, beyond, I should say. Um, and then, you know, we, we want to advocate to, you know, have more structure and policy, you know, when it comes to, you know, standardization of just connectors, right? I mean, people are off doing their own thing and, and it's hurting companies that they're just trying to, you know, carve out, you know, probably less than 10% margin and it makes it impossible for them to do that. Um, and then, you know, when it comes to workforce development, all hands on deck, cause I don't think there's another option really. Um, so again, I'd like to say thank you to OC. Thanks, Jim. Um, this has been, you know, a pleasure all mine. Uh, and we're looking forward to more and more podcasts. Um, and hopefully next time, you know, we'll have OC on and maybe crack some beers on here. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, great conversations. And we look forward to, you know, the next year. Hopefully 
things smooth out. Um, and I hope that uh, this hits some, you know, falls on the ears of who needs it, right? So much appreciated. Yeah. Thanks for the time. I was going to say, I just in, in closing, I want to just reiterate how how uh, honored I am to be here and to get a chance to chat and to be part of this. And I think I just, one closing thought, Jim, what Jim said just really hits home to me, which is we, we're, we've been really surprised at Light Edison, how we, our mission is squarely focused on, you know, really uh, the, the gigawatt deployment of these technologies and our mission focused on, you know, solar technologies and carbon reduction. But Jim just hit something that really, really spoke to me, which was one of the things that's been most fascinating for us over the last few years is how even more than those things, which is the reason we get up and lace our boots up, as my CEO would say, um, is our people and how the passion around the people and the opportunities that we've been able to collectively bring together, something like someone getting that first job and that first promotion and hearing about them buying their first house or much simpler, just someone having um, a, a safe place to live for the first time. And so, you know, Jim just, just said it, the lifestyle training, the life, the life skills training that some of it that we often take for granted, that's really become a huge passion of ours. And this idea that we can be a platform for, for our team members, uh, bettering their lives has really risen to the top right alongside our, our commitment to the renewable energy industry. So I think that's why in hearing you talk and hearing Jim talk, that's what really gets me so excited about, what you guys are doing is it's all of the things we talked about today, but I think if you really boil mm. it down, it's just opportunity for people to improve their lives through something they're passionate about. And I think that that's, uh, that's really exciting. So just thanks again for having me. It's uh, it's been a real pleasure. Yeah. And I mean, just like your website says right up there, right? Disrupting disruptive innovation, dramatic impacts. That's what we're hoping to do, right? <laughs> that's it. That's it. Well, awesome guys. Nice work. Well, thank you.